0: And so just in in brief recap uh, of what we covered last week, uh, there is a a heritage and a history to the church. Now that is going to go all the way back to Acts 2. And we're going to see and we looked a little bit of what the early church did. We didn't necessarily so much look at their inception, but that was in the preceding verses before, verses 42 to 47 of Acts 2. Uh, But we defined what the church is. Can anybody give me a loose definition of what the church is? When we say that, what do we mean? Okay, body of believers, a gathering. We want to add other things to that. Both of those are absolutely correct. You can say the church is the people Christ died for. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her. So you have the church being characterized and being described in the New Testament as a a people, not necessarily something that is brick and mortar it's it's far beyond that and and this people, or I should say, we as this people uh, we we are covenantally bound to one another, not contractually bound to one another, and so the relationship that even those inside of the church should have should mirror the relationship that Jesus has with the church. And next week we'll hit relationships a little bit more in depth. And so you have Acts 2 and really the, the starting point of the church. And then it's 1,700 years later, the Fellowship of Grace Brethren, which they weren't called at that point. Uh, but, but some guys got together and eight people got together. And then there was the, the inception or the birth of uh, what we would say is our heritage as a local gathering of believers. And that was in 1708. And so we looked at some of the details and just invited Dr. Plaster to come and teach us uh, regarding our history, our heritage. And, and so um, what we want to accomplish, and one of the things that was most helpful for me as I began learning about Who are the Grace Brethren? And this actually, I I began learning about them about 10 years ago, but this really helpful part didn't happen until about a year and a half, two years ago. That our identity as Grace Brethren people, if you would, if you'd get stuck in an elevator with somebody, and they'd say, hey, we're going to the fourth floor, tell me about your church. Tell me about your denomination, which would be more than likely what they would call it. They may may, may say fellowship, but tell me about who you are. Uh, We're we're not primarily identified by feet washing and a threefold communion. We're identified by something so far greater. And, And this was just clarified for me just a couple years ago. And, and I think these are really important points for us to have clarity on because us as a church, standing in the stream of evangelicalism and a part of the Fellowship of Grace Brethren churches are identified by a commitment to biblical truth, a commitment to biblical relationships, and a commitment to biblical mission. And so if you were stuck in that elevator with someone, and they said, tell me about your church. Tell me about your denomination. You can say, well, we we believe in the Bible, and we're committed to truth. We're committed to relationships and loving one another the way that we're supposed to love one another, and we're committed to being on mission for the Lord and, and following His commands that way. And so these things for us to give clarity to and bring clarity to, I think, can be really helpful. So in regards to a commitment of biblical truth, there are often, and we'll start one today, um, sermon series that we go through. And, and oftentimes, uh, there are ways for us to kind of gather some thoughts, give some direction. Well, here's a gentleman who's got a few thoughts about the thir- sermon series, which just seemed appropriate because this morning we're starting one. Uh, so we'll let, uh, we'll let Tim tell us a little bit about what he thinks is going on with the sermon series.
1: a lot of pastors love the series a lot of pastors always in you know a 12 part 18 part 90 part series always has a weird name like content or discontent which tent do you live in this was so funny this pastor one time he's like all right y'all i'm so excited about a new series we're starting next week going from one bring friends it's gonna be awesome it's going to be real good. You know what I was thinking the other day? We all love Twinkies. I love Twinkies. You love Twinkies. They're delicious. But we don't all eat Twinkies the same way. No, we don't. Sometimes we don't know how to fit in. So I'm so excited about a new series we're starting next week. Because mm-hmm. some people eat Twinkies that break them in half. Some people shave off the top. Some people drill a hole in the end and squeeze out the good stuff. Some people full commando jam the whole thing in their mouth at one time. So join me next week on the first part of a 48-part series, how to be a Twinkie in a ding-dong world. Amen. It's going to be good. That's right. Bring your message, Bibles. It's going to be anointed. It's going to be anointed.
0: All right, so the sermon series, will start ours here not too long from now, uh, but this morning what I want to do is I want to think about biblical truth. And, 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 Lord willing, maybe give you some, some categories and some ways to think about truth that could be a little different than what you've heard before. Not a different truth, but just a, a way to process it. And then what I'd like for us to do is spend uh, a good amount of time uh, in some groups working through some of these things as well. And so we'll get you divided into 12 groups. Uh, looks like probably about groups of three, maybe four. And uh, just set you loose and give you some direction and instruction. Uh, but in regards to truth, there's, there's a few things that we need to understand and understand remember as we're processing truth, as we're approaching the Bible in biblical truth. And one of the most helpful things that I have found is this description of truth, that it's, it's a lot like a bullseye. And I just took this right out of the back of the ESV Study Bible. So if you've got one of those, you could turn and flip to that page and go and find it. Uh, but the, the core would be what we say are the absolutes. We're going to define some of what those absolutes are. The The next ring, and, and we'll go through this together, is convictions. The third ring is opinions. And the fourth ring is questions. But the core, the absolutes, these are the core beliefs of the Christian faith. These are what most certainly should show up on a doctrinal statement or any type of statement that says, what we believe, uh, but these are the very core of Christianity. If we were going to define what Orthodox Christianity is, we would say it would be this list of absolutes. Now, we need to to understand how the absolutes can be helpful to us. This list of absolutes can be helpful to us because it can help us distinguish between a biblical church... In a non-biblical, I guess we could say church, perhaps gathering. If it's non-biblical, it's probably not a church. So, but, but it helps us distinguish there. There's a certain regard where this list of absolutes can even help distinguish believers from non-believers. As we go through the list, I personally would say, if, if there's points on that list that are not believed... I would have some significant questions about the saving faith that that person would claim to have now the list isn 't for us to run around with the check sheet and just go go around and ask a bunch of people like, "Well, hey about about this i mean we're, this is not a tool to go and point fingers uh, this this morning should start for us as, as maybe a list of things for us to consider, but this list of absolutes becomes very helpful for us in in understanding what is The core. What are the close-handed issues? I've heard one pastor describe them on. What, if you're gonna say you are a Christian, is non-negotiable. The things that that you, you don't open up for debate, you may have discussion about them, but we're not debating them because we believe that they're true. So let's let's run through some of those lists together, and I think we're gonna see a theme emerge out of them. The first, Trinity. God is triune. One God existing eternally in three persons. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we've got inspiration and inerrancy. That God has breathed out His Word. And His Word is His Word. It's infallible. It's inerrant. It's without error. Thirdly, incarnation. God became man. Jesus came and he took on flesh. Fourthly, deity of Christ, that Jesus is God. Second coming, Jesus is coming back. Heaven and hell, they're real, and you're going to one or the other. And I didn't know how to write seven well. I didn't know how to articulate it well. I I had first had on my my first draft of these notes justification by faith that kind of felt a little clunky and it didn't feel like it was it was complete enough and so i just wrote grace alone faith alone in christ alone as probably a way to most easily summarize what we would say is the gospel or is the message of salvation so if you want to write those three things down and put a bracket in there and just write salvation, that's, that's the big idea. That there is one way to be saved, there is one name under heaven and earth by which men are saved, and that is the name and in the person of Jesus Christ. That is what point seven is. There's just a lot there. So to try to articulate that succinctly is a bit clunky for a PowerPoint slide. But what, what themes do you, do you see perhaps emerging out of this list? Do you, do you see consistency in the list? And Danny, can you close that door for us? Do you see a theme w- woven through there? Any thoughts? That's right. That's right. It's all about Jesus. Absolutely, Curtis. Absolutely. Now, here's an important point that I want to make. In saying that these are the absolutes and these define belief for Christians, that if you believe these, that this is the orthodox understanding of evangelical Christianity, this is what we believe the Bible teaches, Please do not hear me say that I think every one of those points you need to have a perfect understanding of. So, if you look at that list, and and I want to just try to maybe give you a little bit of reassurance. If you look at that list and you're like, well, I don't think I fully grasp the Trinity, let me just say, join the club. So, it's not a you've got to have a perfect understanding of these things. But it it would be a, well, we we do believe God's triune. And and because he's God, there's just going to be a limitation to what we can understand and what we can explain and what we can articulate. So for Trinity, we can tell you the what. We can tell you the who. Don't ask me to explain the how. Words just fall short trying to explain how God is one and yet eternally exists in three persons. I can tell you the errors. I can tell you where we can get all goofy, but I can't tell you how it actually happens. God hasn't revealed those things. So we're not talking about a a perfect understanding here. So I want to just give you maybe a little reassurance if you're looking at that list and you're like, wow, maybe I'm not saved. Maybe you are, and and Lord willing, I I, I believe all of us in here are. um, But I, I also want to just recognize that we're not talking about a perfect understanding. But we are talking about a, a commitment to these things. When we say we have faith in Christ, I, these things really become what we're saying. And so these are the absolutes. These are the, the core doctrines. These are what we say mark and characterize Orthodox Christianity. These are the closed handed issues. And as Curtis rightly pointed out for them, they're, they're really all about Christ. And what you will see, if you look, often, if not every time, that there is a challenge to Christianity. That challenge will be traced back to a challenge of Jesus. The absolutes of the Christian faith are all about Jesus. The challenges presented to and against Christianity can all be taken back to Jesus. So recently, I think it was about a year ago, there was a whole series of articles written in Christian magazines and non-Christian magazines, the search for the historical Adam, were Adam and Eve real was the question posed. And you had some people saying, well, no, they weren't real. And some people saying, well, yes, they were real. And some saying, well, okay, we, we, we don't believe they're real, but we're really not sure how that matters. because And, and it just became this one of these debates within Christian and non-Christian circles, that that was really fruitless. But ultimately, that debate goes back to Adam. Or, excuse me, it goes back to Christ. Because Jesus talked about Adam as if he was a historical person. Paul in Romans 5 talks about how Jesus is the last Adam. And where Adam fell in sin, Jesus has conquered. So a question against Adam and the historicity of him does ultimately begin to boil back against a, and a challenge to Christ, which we should see in these seven things. And so we would see and say and understand that, that if you look carefully at the challenges against Christianity, they're going to run back to Christ, and most often if not every time, fall within those categories. It was two weeks ago, Newsweek wrote an, ar- an article just completely trying to destroy and demolish what the Christian understanding of inspiration and inerrancy is? Just trying to completely destroy the foundation we have of God's word. Well, it's going to go back to these things. So I, I want you to see those, and perhaps see that that there, there's some patterns if you look to and, and what the attacks are against Christianity and beliefs. They're, they're gonna they're gonna run and roll back to Jesus. So you've got this closed hand set of. Beliefs. Well, there's also an open hand set of beliefs. That's the second circle. Excuse me, circle. There's an open hand set of beliefs. (laughs) We'd say these are our convictions. Let me just say this before I throw the list on the screen. Do, do any of you feel like there's something missing there, and, and maybe not missing as an in incomplete, but missing as in like I really thought that one would have made the list. Well, any any thoughts? We'll probably find those things on the list of convictions. You, yeah, Pastor Larry, death and rec- death and resurrection. Okay, we, maybe I was. Certainly not intending to deny that, uh, we I think could put that in deity of Christ, second coming grace I, I, it 's not specifically there, but certainly salvation yeah, and, and that would be where I think number seven is is kind of the the summary of that. so we get to convictions, this open handed list, absolute to the close handed. Convictions are the open-handed. So here's how this works. Absolutes, we would say, in, in, in large regard, define whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. Whether that's a church worth going to or whether that's a church worth staying away from. Convictions, though, are open-handed. There's a lot of beliefs across the spectrum of orthodox evangelical Christianity that we can have really strong convictions of. But don't make the list of absolutes. And this is perhaps going to be where you see denominations come in. Perhaps it's just an explanation of why are there so many denominations. Well, it probably it's going to be the list of convictions. It's not absolutes, but it is a list of convictions. And so we can hold these convictions Tightly, We can hold them and articulate them passionately. And we should because this is a list of things that we believe. But these aren't a list of things that divide believers. They may distinguish believers. Certainly this afternoon we are going to celebrate a communion service. We are distinguished from our Baptist brothers and sisters down the road who would not celebrate communion in three parts. But we're not divided against them. We're all brothers and sisters. The absolutes will define that. The convictions, the open handed things, now perhaps explain what distinguishes us. So let's just look at that list together. Spiritual gifts. There's a wide range of beliefs on spiritual gifts. We believe the Spirit gives gifts. Some people believe the Spirit has taken some of those gifts away. Some believe the Spirit has has allowed for all of the gifts to stay here and now. Some believe that we should be expecting the Spirit to work as He did in the days of the apostles, and that there are even apostles here and now that are still speaking the very words of God, giving us new revelation. So there's, there's an articulation of some of the range of spiritual gifts that you have. So there's convictions, and, and I certainly have convictions. Our church has convictions in regards to spiritual gifts, but we we aren't going to divide ourselves against other believers if the absolutes are good and, and maybe we disagree on the spiritual gifts. Baptism. One time, three time, forward, backward. I, there's, there's a range of beliefs in regards to baptism. Now, where the agreement would be is that we should follow the lord and believers baptism where the distinguishment is as well how many times and, and is it forward or backward and in all those things communion makes the list of convictions we're going to celebrate that today celebrate the justification sanctification and glorification that god has has done is doing and will complete in our lives but our brothers and sisters down the road that may pass the bread and cup during their service today aren't any more or less committed to the Lord Jesus Christ because they just simply celebrate communion differently. But we're certainly allowed to read the scriptures and go, well, I think we have these convictions. And we're allowed to passionately hold these convictions. We're allowed to passionately teach these convictions, but we're not allowed to divide ourselves against other believers who may have different convictions. Creation. Here's the, here's the question. Could somebody believe in evolution or day-age theory or young earth theory and still have a relationship with Jesus Christ? That's perhaps the way we need to formulate this question. And you may go, well, it, it feels like they shouldn't. And yet I would, I would ask you, when presenting the gospel to somebody, do you ever bring up creation? You ever say, well, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, and he rose again, and you believe in him, and you can have new life. Typically, the articulation of the gospel to somebody who we're trying to present that to does not include, and he created the world in six days. And so we we need to understand that that we, we can have convictions about creation. My convictions are that he literally created the world in six days, that Genesis 1, 2, and 3 say what they say, and they mean what they mean, but creation is not something that is going to characterize whether you have a relationship with Christ or not. It's not an absolute. It's a conviction. We hold those convictions. Let's passionately teach those convictions, but let's be careful of what we do with them. You saw the second coming was on the list of absolutes. However, the timeline surrounding Jesus' return is on the list of convictions. There are believers who love Jesus across this country, across the world, that believe different things about the timeline that will surround the return of Christ. But they believe he's coming back. And so what we do there is important for us where we can recognize that there can be different understandings in regards to the timeline of Jesus' return, but we all believe he's coming back. So open-handed, close-handed. Now, we may not partner with those who believe something different for like a prophecy conference. That might be real silly. But we can, we can celebrate the fact that we are united, that we believe Christ is returning. And then maybe, perhaps, I don't know if they're, they're less uh, or, or, or more intrusive, perhaps, into what we believe, but well, what do you do with drinking? What do you do with dancing? What do you do with movies? I mean, there was a time where believers didn't go to movies. That just didn't happen, and now it, it doesn't seem like movies aren't, are high on the list of things that are big deals anymore, but what do you do with dancing and, and, and drinking. So there, there are, are convictions that we can hold, and we certainly should have some convictions about drinking. And the Bible does give very clear guidelines in regards to drinking. The Bible gives very clear guidelines to dancing, and it says do it. And movies weren't necessarily something that were uh, a big thing in the first century and the Old Testament. So like, we, we can have some convictions about movies, and, and certainly there will be a range of movies that maybe we say uh, we're comfortable with. And we're not comfortable with, and we have convictions in our family in regards to what movies we watch, uh, what movies we won't, but there's convictions that we can have. And so those may be different than your convictions, and that's fine, but those convictions don't define whether or not we're believers or unbelievers. They rather just distinguish us in different things that we may hold and believe and teach. Kevin, I lost control. Can you go ahead and just advance my laptop? So there's the list kind of side by side. And they're not intended to be like a one for one. So don't read them sideways and try to find parallels. But I just wanted to put that back up there for you. Um, the absolutes. Close-handed truth. Convictions. Really open-handed truth. And, and, and hear me say... Let's passionately believe the things with convictions. Let's passionately believe them. Go back to creation. Six days. On the seventh, he rested. What Genesis 1, 2, and 3 says, he did. But if there's a brother or sister down the road that go, wow, we may not believe in that. I'm going to disagree with them. And I hope to have a conversation about that. But I I can't conclude that that means they don't have a relationship with Christ. Because it's believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So Kevin, go ahead and go to the next one. We've got conviction, spiritual gifts, thirdly opinions. And I'm not going to give a list of opinions here for you the way I do the other two. But the circle's getting wider. We're getting a little farther away. And so you may have opinions about dress. You may have opinions about, well, as Dr. Plaster even referenced last week. How many buttons should be on your shirt? And that's fine. You're allowed to have these opinions. But we need to understand that those opinions aren't convictions. They may be personal convictions for you, but we got to be real careful there. And they're most certainly not absolutes. And so some of the stories that I was told in seminary was in regards to uh, the pastor could only wear a white shirt because pastors wore white shirts. Well, I, that's probably an opinion. That may be a conviction for somebody, but you're not going to find that articulated in the scriptures. And and so I appreciate your grace letting me wear colored shirts. Uh, and if you have that opinion, I don't mean to offend you. It's just I don't share that opinion with you. Uh, and so there's opinions. And then lastly, we we broaden that out a little further to questions just just things we're wondering about and we should have questions and we got to be real careful uh, certainly those of us that are teachers have to be real careful cuz i got some questions that you'll never hear until it moves through that filter of all right well now it's an opinion and, and maybe now it's a conviction because I've been able to study the scriptures even more and, and learn some things further. I, I've got some questions that I've got a list of a small group of guys that I float those things out and just say, All right, am I a heretic here? Uh, you let me know. Because I, I want to be questioning. I, I want to be wondering. I want to be studying. I want to be learning. And so questions aren't wrong, and we're certainly allowed to have them. Um, and there are things that we can, we can question. Or we can have questions about, like, I, I think the scriptures say this, but I don't know. I don't know for sure. I certainly don't know enough to stand in front of my flock and go, the scriptures say this. But I can stand up in front of you with convictions and say that can stand up in front of you with the absolutes and most certainly say that. So you've got questions then as the fourth circle in our bullseye, if you want to call it that. Uh, I would say this, go ahead Kevin, I think I have this up there, that the, the two major challenges for a group like us, a group of people committed to biblical truth, are always going to be lovingly and graciously confronting attacks on the absolutes. And not elevating the convictions and the opinions to the level of absolutes. Does that make sense? So, so we become a really unfriendly group of people if we say the only, the only way biblically to celebrate communion is to do it how we do it. We just become really unfriendly. We become really unfriendly if we say the only biblical way to baptize people is three times forward. We become really unfriendly because immediately we've struck a dividing rod against and in between our brothers and sisters who may celebrate it differently and understand it to be differently. So we've got to be careful that we don't elevate convictions to the level of absolutes. And th- this is in some ways my relationship with my father in regards to baptism and communion. I've got no problem sitting down with my dad and going, well, dad, I think, I think triune immersion is a better picture of salvation. And he can come back and go, well, have you thought about this? And we can have that discussion. But it's a, it's a discussion about convictions. We're not elevating that to absolutes. Although we do agree completely that believers should be baptized. But we've got to lovingly and graciously confront attacks on the absolutes. We can be a really unfriendly group of people if we're not willing to do that. We can identify an attack on Christ, somebody writes an article in Newsweek. They lead off just articulating a um, a, a brand of of Christianity, if you even want to call it that. That's probably so unbiblical; it's not even worth mentioning in the article. And how we respond to that is going to matter greatly. Are we loving? Are we gracious? So the scriptures say that we're to defend truth. The scriptures give responsibility to the. Shepherds and overseers and elders of the church to guard doctrine But we got to do that lovingly. We got to do it graciously And so this is probably an area that I that I would say that I I struggle in It's just that tension of of the loving and gracious part I feel like there's there's a bit of like an attack dog in me that if I if I kind of sniff out or see uh, some some error in your belief uh, I I can really just want to pounce, and and that's no, certainly not loving. It's not gracious, but it's also not loving and not gracious to just not say anything. So we got, there's a balance there. But the the really the challenge is for us because I I don't think any of us came into this room this morning wondering, well, is, is Tim going to say we're committed to biblical truth or not? I mean, no, we we are. The challenge for us is going to be when there are attacks on the absolutes maybe when people even have questions about our convictions are we loving and gracious but then also not elevating convictions and opinions to the level of absolutes so we need to be careful there and there's some guardrails there that need to be in our lives and characterizing our body here as we think about biblical truth so what I would like to do is I'd like to get you broken up into groups of about three to four, and what I want to do is I want to give uh, I want to give you twelve different bullet points or, or numbers, and your group's just going to take one of them. So ultimately we need twelve groups. Um, and, and what you're going to do is you're, you're just going to look up some scriptures that I've given you. And I, and I want you to try to formulate a statement or give some type of summary articulation to the scriptures that you have read in your group. And so, Kevin, go to the next slide and we'll just show you. They're all right there. These come from our statement of faith. <coughs> you got the Bible, the one true God, Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, man, salvation, church, Christian life, ordinances, Satan, second coming, future life. These are the 12 bullet points of our statement of faith. Now, I would ask you, don't log on to our website and cheat. Do some of this work in your group. Get yourselves together. And what I'd like to do is just give each group one of these. Give you about... to minutes to read the passages try to summarize it and then I want us to just spend some time uh, sharing those with the rest of the group and and giving some uh, summary of that because this is what our church says we believe so there's a blend of absolutes and convictions there so ordinances, we can keep going back to that as an example, we have convictions about ordinances we're going to teach those, we're going to passionately communicate and celebrate those, Uh, but that's a conviction. Um, Yet salvation, that's an absolute. The Bible, the one true God, I I, I think you get the picture. Uh, So go ahead and, and arrange yourself groups of two or three. When you have a group, when you think you're in your group, have one person in your group raise their hand, and then we should have 12 hands up by the end, okay? So just raise it up high, keep it up. can be a group of four. If you get to five, that may be unhelpful. If you want to move your chairs, I don't have a problem with that. We're going to have to move them back shortly, but if you want to move them, go right ahead. All right, so let's see those hands. One, two, three, four, five, six. Is there a hand over there? Seven, eight in the back. All right, we need we need a few more groups. All right, well let's do this. Here we go. Your group. All right, you've got the Bible, Curtis. You got a group. One True God. Sam, Helen, do you have a group right here? Group of four. All right, the Lord Jesus Christ. Group back here. Holy Spirit. And now, was there a group behind you? Is that is this? That's not one giant group, right? There's so you're a group of four. Okay, you're going to take man. Okay, so up there, look up the verses, read the scriptures. All right, we got a group here. Salvation, Christy, Eli, Mike, Becky, Uh, the church. Is Is this one big group or is that two groups? All right, so we got the church there. Pastor Larry is going to be Christian life. Here we have ordinances. Right here we've got Satan second coming, and then future life, which we'll go with 11 groups. That'll be fine. So, you are reading the passages, just trying to summarize what they say. And so, as a church, and as a fellowship, this type of statement becomes very, very helpful and important for us. It helps us Evaluate and understand and navigate what can oftentimes feel like a, a complexity of options and a myriad of options in regards to local churches and and I know some of you have been here since you were born uh, others of you haven't and, and that 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 process of determining where where are we going to go to church what local gathering of believers will we identify ourselves with and. Two, these type of statements are incredibly helpful for us. Um, Students, there will be a period of time in your life where you've got to do this for yourself and certainly can involve other people to help you. Uh, But when you go away to college, what do you evaluate a church by? You can go in on a Sunday morning and they can have really cool lights and fog and, and an awesome guitarist and, and, you know, they can have all of that stuff. But if their statement of faith does not line up with what the Bible teaches, you've got to run. And So there's, there's some examples of where this type of statement can be very, very helpful as you're even looking for a church. Now, I don't want any of you to go out and go look for a church, but some of you will, will go and, and you'll be a part of that at some point just because of life. And I know some of you have in, in the past days, in years, as God has made transitions in your life that you weren't even anticipating Him to make. So a statement of faith is important. And it's an expression of a local group of people being committed to biblical truth. But it's also helpful for, for us to articulate what it is that we are committed to. And so this does appear on our website. This is, uh, it is directly what our fellowship is, and so as our fellowship is committed to biblical truth, um, you can have some confidence that you go to another Grace Brethren church somewhere. They're going to have those things on their web, and those better be the things that are preached from the pulpit and celebrated, or there's probably a whole lot of issues. Um, But a commitment to biblical truth is really the first mark And characteristic of us as a fellowship. And so when somebody asks you, well, tell me about your church, um, I'd love for almost the first answer out of your mouth to be, we're committed and we love Christ and we're committed to biblical truth. If you have just a short few moments to describe us to somebody, hey, tell me about your, tell me about your church. What'd you do yesterday morning? Tell me about you guys. I'd love for the first things out of your mouth to say, we love Jesus and we're committed to biblical truth. Now, if you get time, let's go to relationships. We'll go there next week, get to mission as well. They're all equally important. um, And there are things that we have convictions of that we will celebrate, that we will teach, that we will passionately um, do. This afternoon is an example of that. But those things don't divide believers. They distinguish believers. So what we do with close-hand and open-handed understandings of our absolutes and our convictions are also really important. So our church has got convictions. We celebrate them. We believe the Bible teaches them. We're going to teach them as well because there is a commitment to biblical truth that we have. What I'd like to pass out to you today, and Danny, can you give me some hands, please. Mike, can you do the other side? Um, Is a, uh, just a brochure, a little booklet that the Fellowship of Grace Brethren Church has put together. (coughs) You will see some um, very, very brief history articulated. You've got a lot more last week than this is going to give you. Um, On the very back, you're going to see our statement of faith. So, This is why I didn't hand this out to you in the beginning, because you had all just cheated. Uh, You're going to see that even within uh, our fellowship, that there is a a commitment to some things. That if we want to be... And if we are characterized as a group of people committed to biblical truth, biblical relationships, and biblical mission, there's some things that the leaders in our fellowship have said, well, we think there's some, there's some outworkings from those understandings. And so uh, church planning, leadership training, integrated ministries, those are all examples of where a commitment to biblical truth, commitment to biblical relationship, and a commitment to biblical mission flesh themselves out. We're not committed to church planning because it's the most popular idea right now in evangelical circles. We're committed, and we share that commitment of church planning because we're committed to biblical truth. And we see that the gospel goes out and planning churches it is an effective way Jesus is building his church. So there's a commitment that that is birthed out of a greater understanding. It's, it's perhaps root in fruit. So this may be helpful for you. You may already have a copy of it. You may not. Um, but this is just going to actually even list some organizations within our fellowship that uh, are, are a part of doing these things. Um, some of them are in our neck of the woods. Metro Grace is based in... Philadelphia. To Ministries is, is also based in Pennsylvania, just a little northeast of here. Um, so there's some things that are very close to us, and I know some of you have experience with other of these organizations being graduates of Grace College, Seminary, uh, CE National is in there, Catherine's done Operation Barnabas. I mean, they're, we're, we're just kind of intertwined, and, and rightly so, because this is in some ways our broader family that we are a part of. And so uh, this may be helpful for you to just give you some some more detail about um, who we are as a fellowship. But we are characterized, we are identified by a commitment to biblical truth, commitment to biblical relationships, and a commitment to biblical mission. And so those things need to mark us. And I'm grateful they do. So, Next week, we hit relationships. Next week, we're going to put you back into groups. going to try to break down the one another's and kind of work through what the Lord has said that we should be doing and living and modeling to one another. Um, And I will tell you, there's four instances of greeting one another with a holy kiss. Um, So I'm not sure how that's going to work itself out, but there are some stories in our history where we would go, ah, that maybe shouldn't happen anymore. And perhaps we can say that the expression of that may be a bit of an opinion or conviction. So let's not make that an absolute. Um, Although I'm very committed to kissing my wife. So uh, that one is very holy. And let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you that Christ has come and he has purchased us. He died on the cross for his church. He died on the cross for us, God, we thank you for the new life that we have in him. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to just even understand and celebrate and learn a, a little bit more of this fellowship that we're a part of. God, thank you for the commitment of so many men and women for so many hundreds of years that have said, uh, we believe the Bible, we want to live that out in relationship, and we want to be on mission. And so God, I thank you for their example, and I pray that you would continue to use us in dynamic ways for your glory for the building of your church God I pray that you would sharpen us where we're not fully committed to biblical truth God I pray that you would refine and sharpen of us where there's there's not a commitment to biblical relationships or biblical mission and so God far beyond just facts and knowledge and maybe just good information I, I pray that you'd use this to to mold and shape us individually our families, and the bigger group that we gather together with. God, I pray that these things would characterize us. And it's in the good name of Jesus I ask. Amen. All right.